Hello and welcome to Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at Calvin College. And I'm Chad Carlson, kinesiology professor and director of general education at Hope College. And we are coming to you from the audio studio of Our Daily Bread Ministries, which helps millions of people connect with God each day. For more than 75 years, their purpose has remained the same, to reach people with the life-changing wisdom of the Bible. And we're here at a time when uh, we can all reflect on the the sport that's happening right in the midst of us, which is sort of Don't say captured. golf. Don't say golf. It could be golf. Come on. No, this is the... I thought... You were gonna. You wanted it's to go. It's round. It rolls <laughs> along the grass. Uh, you were thinking soccer. Wasn't I'm you? thinking soccer. I know. It's just this is a season for golf. Too. You know I what? I, I will suspend golf a little bit here. Let's let's talk soccer. Let's talk soccer. So women's World Cup is going on. Yeah. Chad, are you following? I am. I love soccer. I really do. I, I just find myself drawn to it. I I, I played it growing up. I think that's a big part of it. But um, I don't know. I I don't know if I can perfectly explain why I like soccer. Why. Uh, but I, but I'm it's one a beautiful of beautiful game. Yeah, and I'm one of like billions that love soccer, right? I mean, there's this. This isn't something that's a niche sport in any way in any country, right? And here in the U.S., obviously, soccer feels like a niche sport in some ways because we have football and basketball, baseball that dominate the headlines, and yet soccer is very popular in the United States, especially among the youth. Oh, especially. Yeah. And uh, around the world, it's really interesting. I've traveled to other countries around the world, and in in countries in Africa where I didn't speak the language, if I just pull out a soccer ball in a village, people would flock to the to the game, and uh, villages would come out and just uh, start interacting, and all of a sudden we were playing soccer. Uh, what a great way to connect with people all around the world to to use this really simple game. You need a ball and uh, a couple of posts, essentially, to try to, to play this game. I found that, too, and I found that um, when I do the same thing with you know, an American sports ball, for instance, that uh, I'm seen as an expert because I'm an American. And so we're experts in mm. American football and in basketball and baseball, you know, sort of our games. And yet when it comes to soccer, although there's there's great joy and it's easy to get people to get excited about bring, you know, pulling out a soccer ball anywhere in the world, really, to be able to do that, um, Americans aren't the experts. Oh, not at all. And yet in the Women's World Cup, we've got this team that's that's the one last World Cup, right? We're the defending champions. This is, you know, it's different on the men's side of things here where, where we sort of are struggling for, uh, to justify our existence in the top 10, top 15, top 32 even, right, in the World Cup. Right. Uh, and yet our women are, have, have been dominant. And they're being dominant again. In fact, they started out this year with their, their opening match, which uh, made a few headlines. It did. A, a 13-0 victory. 13-0. That's a lot of goals. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of goals, and it's it's not a lot of goals for for Thailand, the opponent. Right. So, in that victory, clearly they showed their dominance. They showed their ability to score. They showed their defensive prowess. Obviously, the 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 whole package in this year's team, and everybody's very excited. Everybody's essentially healthy, and uh, um, they're clicking along. They've made it through the first stage, and we're into the bracket play at this point. So in that first game, there was a little bit of controversy. Remember that? The idea that potentially they're running up the score, and maybe that's bad sportsmanship. Did you have a kind of an opinion of that? Well, it's hard for me to um, to speak into, first of all, to speak into what someone else is doing without without sort of understanding the context of all that. Um, I, it was, 
I can speak into it a little bit having watched, you know, like any spectator can, and, and people have different opinions about this. And it certainly made headlines, 13-0. This is a question that, that the media raises, you know, after every game. There, there's got to be something ethical that, that comes out, you know, in order to sort of uh, per- perpetuate the storylines a little bit longer than it would otherwise, right? 13-0, it was a walloping. Um, the game, in fact, you know, I was watching with my kids, and, and we, it got to the point for me where I was like, oh, please don't score anymore. Please, please don't score anymore. Hmm. So I you was felt hoping, something there. I felt something. I was hoping it wouldn't happen. And yet I know as a competitor, if I was on the team, if I was on the field, I think, I mean, if you score, you score. And to have an opportunity to score and not do so or not try to do so, I think is in, in more ways disrespecting the opponent than, um, than, than actually scoring. Right. And if there are certain things that you can do to, I, I, I think for coaches, if there's certain things you can do to try to minimize the uh, difference in the final score, which does not affect that the way that you play the game, then I think that those things are could be possible. For instance, um, maybe your best player wouldn't be playing all the time. Uh, maybe you put in some some other players, give them opportunity. Obviously, in a World Cup circumstance, there's a, there's another element, and that is that total number of goals scored is a factor. And so you may not do that. 13-0 is, is extremely unusual. Um, but uh, I think you're exactly right. If you think about it from the perspective of the opponent, if they were to not play hard or even pull back on a goal that could have been scored, that would have been considered insulting. So really it's kind of a lose-lose situation there. Uh, I do think the media and everybody else makes too much of it. And ultimately, we're playing sports, and there's always a winner and a loser. And the sting of that loss is really the sting of the loss, not the the way that it was done. So when one team uh, wins and another team loses, what that happens all the time in sport. And we're constantly doing that. So the, the idea that it's a bad sport in that circumstance, I think it's just a, I think it's a misplaced label. Yeah, I think, and that's that's part of my lamentation about the the game itself is that it was just it was a mismatch, right? Right. It was a mismatch, and so um, you'd like to think that you know at the the largest stage in the world, the World Cup, that you've got thirty two teams who are all you know uh, relatively equal or as close as possible. We, we you know you try to set that up. FIFA tries the best they can. It just didn't happen on that day, and you know there are certain things, certain incentives that the U.S. has. To, to try to maximize the victory that any team has. And like you said, it's the goal differential being a tiebreaker in the group stage. We didn't end up needing that. Uh, we would have gone through anyways uh, as the top team from the group. But there's incentive to score a lot of goals. And I think soccer's governing bodies want that because uh, goal scoring sort of um, it, it consumes us. It's what we want to see. The other difficulty is, and you mentioned this, Brian, about the, the coaching. You know, uh, Coach Jill Ellis was criticized a little bit for the substitutions she made in the game. That she she did make substitutions, which is great, but she brought on um, uh, some of our subs who who have been uh, dis- who have had distinguished careers at the international stage. So great she, she was bringing on, yeah, these these second stringers. And what they were sort of coming off the bench, but they were people who had who were legitimate world class soccer players, and they were attackers. Right. And so she's bringing on this new wave of fresh legs <laughs> on offense to try to score. Right. And, and, and so there's some difficulty there. Was this the right thing to do? Well, you know, she's dealing with a lot of constraints, right? Anytime you're a national team coach, you've got all these players that are great players, especially on a world-class program like ours. And here you have an opportunity to play them, yeah. right? You don't know how much – all of them want to play. They want to play sure, as much as sure they, they possibly do. can. Yeah. And in a, in a blowout game like that, you have opportunity to 
to take a risk, so to speak, and play players that maybe are not in your starting group. And so she takes this opportunity, and then we have this perfect storm where they, like you said, I have fresh legs and they're able to score. And that's what they do. They've been doing that their whole careers. And so I, I don't think there was much she could have done differently. The only uh, thing is that when that those uh, emotions that both sides have are real, like you said, you didn't want them to score anymore. And they certainly didn't want it uh, to happen to them. And none right. of their fans wanted it to happen right. to them. And so right. those emotions are real. Uh, I think we step back from that and we take a larger perspective and say it's sport and the goal here is to win. And the, the way to win is to score goals. And uh, ultimately, I think it's it's kind of a non-issue that we're making an issue of. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. And I think the, you know, the behavior is a part of it, too. How do we react when we're scoring and scoring and scoring and scoring? You know, that was something that also received some criticism is that they continued to um, to celebrate with their teammates that they had scored. It seemed like this was a really unified team in, in doing so, right? They all seemed very happy for each other. It's a great thing they're scoring on the world stage, especially people who hadn't before or people who hadn't scored that many goals, for instance. There was nothing that seemed to be directed towards derisively towards the opponent. And that was, I think, um, a, a reassuring element of all this is that it was it was they were excited there was enthusiasm i think they were jubilant yeah. i think they had um they had done something they hadn't done before which is to score in a world cup game you know some of them and and uh, in that moment you're going to celebrate and it didn't look contrived it was just something they did right right that's absolutely right so there you know there are certainly there's ethics surrounding that people can talk about and it is a good thing for us to discuss right when there is a 13-0 victory or loss you mm-hmm. know we, we should unpack it we should think through it this is this is part of the part of how we, we we think deeply and meaningfully about sport and what it means in our lives so speaking of a little controversy the most recent game for uh, the u.s uh, against spain ended in a 2-1 u.s victory that 2-1 victory uh, included two goals from the united states that both were scored on penalty kicks. Penalty kicks are always controversial in soccer. It, 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 it always seems like it's a really tight, close judgment call. For some reason, uh, it doesn't seem that egregious that often. It just seems like a, a tight call, right? So you're in the box, and uh, you're making an aggressive move toward the goal. The possession is sometimes even uh, unknown, and somebody's foot clips somebody's foot, and a penalty is called. And the, the um, consequence for that penalty is severe. I mean, oh, that yeah. opportunity to score. I mean, when you get a, a foul in basketball, you get an opportunity to go to the free throw line and shoot a couple of free throws. And you know what? That's two points in a 100-point game sometimes. Mm-hmm. Now we're looking at two goals in a three-goal game. <laughs> What was your perspective on what you saw yesterday? Yeah. You know, if you're looking at it from sort of legalistic terms, you want the punishment to fit the crime. Yeah. And it feels like seems both of the, the penalty kicks that the U.S. received were on fouls that were not egregious mm. in any way and were in, in some respects you know, questionable. Certainly the U.S. players um, exacerbated the ways in which they were hindered from maintaining possession of the ball uh, both times. And and so it, it, there wasn't a ton of contact either time. 
did the Spain players uh, break a rule according to how soccer has written the rules? It seems as if they did, and yet it was played up, and um, and the U.S. was awarded. And so we didn't score at all in 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 real fluid action time. Both of them were, were penalty kicks, and so. That, that takes a little bit of the luster off. You know, some of the commentators said this was an unconvincing win, and I would agree that there was something unconvincing about it. And, um, and yet this is the way the, the game of soccer is set up, and, and, and this is why it's, it's the beautiful game. It's also you know, not the beautiful game. I mean, it's, just, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult situation when you're in the penalty box to see, you know, something, a particular foul that happens within the set of lines, the 18-yard box, that could have, if, had it happened two feet or even, you know, one foot, farther outside, farther away from the goal, it would have been a totally different situation. And, and it's much less likely to result in a goal. This is a, this is a difficulty in the game of soccer. Yeah, and as an observer, as I'm watching that, those two sort of replays of those two goals, the second one in particular didn't seem like anything could have happened that would have caused the U.S. to, to get a goal. So, for instance, you know, when someone is breaking toward the goal, there's an opportunity, they have an opportunity to take a shot, or they're making a run, and their progress is impeded through a foul. It makes a little more sense. But in that last circumstance, kind of running horizontally across the face of the goal, not a lot was going to happen there. The ball kind of, you know, uh, aimlessly wandered out, and that call was made with a little bit of a stumble Mm -hmm. in there. And... uh, we, some would call that a dive or a flop, um, but that was called, and that that's part of the game, uh, to be able to uh, put enough pressure on one team that they're forced to foul, that mm-hmm. they're forced to maybe take a risk, right? Go after something that they wouldn't go after normally or something that they wouldn't go after normally in that space, in that penalty area. So uh, obviously it worked out this time for the U.S., but had it been reverse, we would be probably thinking about this very differently. Oh, we'd be up in arms. Yeah, <laughs> we absolutely would. <laughs> this whole discussion today would be totally different. Oh, we're that, very you know? calm about it. Yeah, we're calm because we won, but but had the injustice has been towards us, oh boy, you know, we don't we don't like that. So it's it's hard for us to talk about this outside of our own context, right? Right. As as Americans, you know, watching this this game, um, we we try to be objective if we can. And, and yet it's so hard for us to do that. And it was hard for me yesterday. I was trying to think, you know, boy, I just don't feel good about this win. And that's okay. But I tell you what, I f- would have felt a whole lot worse if I was on the losing end because of that. Yeah, no question. The Either the, um, you know, the people that make this call should make a lot of money or nothing at all. I don't know, really, really know <laughs> exactly. Because I think there there's actually uh, a good amount of information out there about corruption among um soccer referees, and, and that uh, always comes to mind when you start mm-hmm. thinking about things like this. I, I, no charge here whatsoever, but it always comes to mind because those those calls are so influential in who advances and mm-hmm. who doesn't. So the, the you know, soccer has gone to this VAR, the, the video replay now. Right, yeah. For, for penalties called in the box and for other, you know, sort of you know, goal line technology. It's kind of this... Um, this, this American technological, you know, this That'll interest. That'll fix it. Yeah, it's interesting in, in perfection, right? We All we need to do is be able to see it in slow motion Throw and, the red again flag. and again and again. Yeah, exactly, right? It's that type of thing. And so, you know, the referee in the second one especially went and, and looked. Mm-hmm. 
and saw. And so she watched herself um, and, and, and affirmed her own call. Right. This is an interesting thing. So we, we, first of all, we send it out to, to these people in this replay booth who look at it. But the official on the field uh, has the opportunity to, to, to hear feedback and then determine whether she wants to go watch it for herself or not. And so in some ways, if it's controversial enough, she will then go in and watch it herself, which happened in the second one. Right. I think that it seemed like there was a bit of a delay. People were trying to delay to try to force her to think through. Yes. Oh, the Spanish team right? absolutely was. Yeah, they were trying to force her sure. to think it through and mm-hmm. make a decision. Do I go back and take a look at this on mm-hmm. video replay? So now, so it gets it gets watched by these um, sort of objective um Objective. Experts, right, right. Uh, in, in a booth, mm-hmm. right, in a secluded area that is like like this room we're in right now, where it's it's sort of separate from reality, right? It's supposedly it's supposed to be objective, and then, but it, if it's controversial enough, it's sent back to the referee to go watch it herself, which is interesting because she is going then to affirm or deny her own call, right? right? So she is the one that's in charge of making that determination. If the other people find that it is too, it is too. Um, it's too gray yet. We don't know. You, you, know, you make the decision on your own call, and so the person that's responsible for um, for verifying the referee's call is the referee herself. It's a really interesting take on authority uh, and on competence, right? So, absolutely, a, a great deal of uh, trust is placed on the, in this person, and always has been in soccer, in football, and. Ultimately, then that person is in charge of making the call. But then you bring in this outside entity to try to uh, sort of give some oversight, but it's not ultimate oversight. I mean, ultimately, the, it comes back to that person. I, I actually applaud their attempt to try to do this. I think it's interesting that they're leaving that authority where it once was, and they're not taking that all away. I I sort of see that with uh, a number of different video replays in sport where the I kind of feel for the officials, the umpires, the referees who are making calls in real time and then someone slows it down frame by frame to try to determine whether they're right or wrong. And to me, I think something is lost there. Um, and the fact that it can still be controversial after video replay just tells you how flawed we are just in general. Oh, yeah. And how, and how difficult that process is of being the arbiter of a particular sport that, that occurs with these unbelievable athletes moving at high speed and with such strength and body control and and, and such, um, you know, such time-honed practices. And our desire to really control these sorts of things, right? And so sport always has this element of chance, always has this element of human error on uh, both the part of the players and the officials. And to try to rid that or pull that all out um, has been a bit futile. They, um, even officials uh, that have brought in a lot of replay, they haven't been able to fix everything in sport. Obviously, some advances, but video replay hasn't been able to change everything. And it results in lots of rule changes from year to year to year in lots of sports. You, know, you can say that, that chance or that which is out of a player or a coach's control you know, uh, affects every sport to a greater or lesser extent. Some are some are more open to, to chance or to elements outside your control than others. Soccer is certainly one where, especially with the, the small amount of scoring, you know, there's so much that is 
uh, out of one's control, that a team could dominate a game and yet not win in a way that maybe couldn't happen in, in other sports. And I think there's a continuum of, of how much chance affects even, you know, necessarily one, one event uh, in, in one sport versus another event in that sport. You know, the weather affects things or the bounce of the ball or this or that. And it seems that soccer fans, players, all, all seem to have, um, or at least at the top levels, I've really appreciated as I watch global soccer events, um, the ability for the ability of, of athletes and coaches to accept some of that. And it, it's not easy, and it clearly isn't watching their faces. But you don't see very often, um, you know, you don't see someone throwing an absolute temper tantrum. At least I didn't see that yesterday after the game from the Spanish side. There was resignation. There was disappointment. You, you, know, you know, even though they're speaking in Spanish, you can tell what they're saying, right? And, and there, there were hurt feelings, and there was disappointment directed toward the refs, among other things. Um, and yet it, it happened. The game's over. Um, it, life's not fair. Right. And like you said, the ability to accept those things, even in the face of, and we've talked about this before, even in the face of what some might consider to be a a lower tiered injustice, right? Something didn't happen that should have happened Mm -hmm. or something that uh, one team that maybe was better than the other didn't advance. In this case, I'm not sure that was, that was it, but that happens sometimes. And that ability to accept it is part of sport that, even if we didn't win this time, there will be another time. And mm. I think the other, the idea is that over time in a long career of sport or a long uh, tenure of a particular team, sometimes it works for you and sometimes it doesn't. And that, I think that's part of the beauty of sport. Mm-hmm. Part of the, what we could come back to is that moment where it falls in our direction, where mm-hmm. the talent and the luck if you if that's you want to call it the way the ball bounces works in our direction and we love sport for that moment uh and we we're sad in the days that it it doesn't work our way sure that's part of the narrative that's part of the uh the redemptive nature of sport and maybe something that that spanish fans can can get excited about at this point in time you know today the day after this this bad loss they played really well they played with the u.s they were they were on paper not as good a team as the u.s and yet they they probably had a better plan coming in outplayed us in some ways or at least had this plan of attack that made it really difficult for us to score. They don't win. They don't They don't move forward because of some questionable decisions by the referee. This is part of their storyline now, you know, moving forward, and they do get another chance. Luckily for them, you know, this is this is as far as they had ever made it in a World Cup. They never made it to the knockout rounds, and, and they have a young squad yet. Right. So, you know, time is on their side, and so there's some excitement there, and this can be part of the storyline. If this team comes back four years from now, with a chip on their shoulder, there's a reason why. That's part of the joy of, of sport is that we see these narratives, these storylines that move forward and the redemptive nature of sport. That is, you and I play against each other. The result is what it is, but we get the opportunity to play again another time. So we're drawn into this team now. We are kind of hooked in and we want to see the next match. And so they go out on, I think uh, in a few days, they'll go out and they'll play France and Hopefully we can get this podcast out so people can hear it and <laughs> um, kind of reflect on what's happened. This team, this particular team, has um, other storylines going as well. In fact, um, this team, before they started playing, were, were known for certain things, which is which has also brought its own level of controversy. Can you kind of unpack a little bit some of the... Um, some of the ways that this team has framed its own story. 
this U.S. Women's National Team um, stands for uh, is standing for a number of social issues, and so uh, 28 members of this team have have joined in a class action lawsuit against the United States Soccer Federation regarding uh, gender equality with with payment, and so they receive less pay than the men's players for doing similar work, which would go against the Equal Pay Act in the United States. Uh, piece of legislation. This is a group that has um, stood for other social issues as well. So maybe you noticed yesterday during the national anthem, um, the heart and soul of the team, uh, Megan Rapino, does not sing the national anthem. Every other starter, as they panned through their faces, was singing the national anthem. She does not. In fact, in the past, she has knelt she has. during the national anthem in yeah. solidarity with uh, Colin Kaepernick regarding injustices for underrepresented groups in the United States. This team has also um, spoken out uh, uh, in favor of um, LGBT community rights. Mm-hmm. And it's a group, uh, m- many members of the team and coaching staff themselves are members of those communities. And it, there was a 2017 game in which the United States national team, uh, both men's and women's national teams, wore jerseys with rainbow-colored numbers in solidarity with mm-hmm. uh, communities of, of people uh, in, uh, LGBTQ. And so this is... Um, this is a group that has, that has, uh, in some ways, sort of uh, promoted these social issues. They have pushed them to the forefront of who this team is. Right? This is part of their identity now, and they've made it. They've made it that way, and have received a lot of criticism for that, but also have received a lot of praise. It's right? true. They're standing up for what they believe is right. They're standing up for perceived injustices. Some people are saying, "This is sport. Let it stay about sport," and other people are saying. No, this is great. You're, you're bringing in your views. You have this platform. Use it. So it's not unusual for athletes to athletes or teams together to uh, attempt to affect social change through the visibility of their sport. So as you move forward in your talent and uh, it draws more and more attention, it gives you a platform. You use the word platform. And that's not unusual. You mentioned Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick um, could have knelt for the national anthem in his college days or in his high school days, and no one would have cared. But once you make it to the Super Bowl, uh, you are a uh, you're a phenom, and he certainly was a phenom in sort of his brief um, time as a NFL quarterback. And so he took and leveraged that fame to be able to, um, I think, bring attention to things that were near and dear to him. Uh, it's interesting that, that that effect has been a part of sport for a long period of time. In fact, in Colin Kaepernick's case and Megan Rapino, in both cases, they're objecting to a national anthem, which itself was almost the same thing. The national anthem was really brought into sport around World War II when officials decided that it was uh, important for sport to try to foster patriotism. And so the playing of the national anthem began to be a regular ritual. And now we're offended when it's not, right? We think it's just part of sport. And it wasn't always part of sport. And so these things all come from somewhere. That was an attempt to make people patriotic. And Colin Kaepernick and Megan Rapinoe, their attempt is to bring attention to particular social issues. Uh, A lot of people use the platform of sport to be able to bring attention to a cause that matters deeply to them. This team is, is at the forefront of, of these, these pushes at this point in time. But what they're 
arguing for, what they're promoting um, is nothing new. And bringing politics, social issues, moral issues into sport is also nothing new. It's hard for us to, you know, like you said, our sports, our sporting landscape is is chock full of, of politics. You can't, you can't separate, you can't experience a sporting event that has no social, moral, or political influences. No. That's, that's impossible because every context is set up by someone or something, and every athlete, every participant is bringing in his or her own context into that particular event. And so it's hard to say don't bring politics into sport because there's no way of doing sport without politics. As spectators, we can engage with that context as much or as little as we want, um, and yet it, it is always there. It is there for, for the um, for, for maybe the more vigilant observer of sport, for the more politically minded, for the more uh, uh, for the more deeply minded consumer of sport. Well, truth be told, I always have a reaction to these things as well, right? You hear something and your first thought is, or at least sometimes my first thought is, let's just play sports. I'm here to just escape, do what I want to do just in the time that I want, and I don't want to bring politics into it. And I get that response. Um, and I also get that people take sides on these controversial issues. And if you happen to be on a different side than what is stated, your response is even stronger, right? Get that out of here. We don't want to have that around here, right? And so if it's something that we affirm, then somehow it's great. Uh, wow, what a, what a wonderful opportunity to bring <laughs> attention to something that's, that's wonderful, right? So I think we ought to, in some ways as Christians, uh, step back a little bit and, and check ourselves in those sort of first reactions, those first reactions where we make a quick decision on whether or not it should be there and then our quick decision on our position on such things. We're always learning. We're always growing. We're always trying to be um, hospitable. And I think uh, when people are bringing these things, we, we've one thing it does for us is it reminds us of the humanity of the competitors. When we're watching sport in some way, we are separating ourselves from them. And they can become commodities, essentially, for us, for our entertainment. But we recognize, especially those stories, those heartfelt stories that we'll hear that, that draw us in or closer to an athlete, the same is true that there are things that, that bring them pain, that bring them... Uh, uh, distrust. And because of those things, they, they want to bring those things out in, uh, in, in their moment of a platform. And so I think it's worthwhile for us to not um, necessarily, I think, join in and raise a flag if, if that's, um, that's what's required by the moment. I think it's better for us to sort of pull back, uh, thoughtfully consider the humanity of these people, and then try to figure out how we can engage with this particular sport and continue to enjoy the beauty, in this case, of uh, U.S. women's soccer, but in other sports as well, the beauty of what's happening on the field, recognizing that uh, these are all whole people. So that's the that's the, the central issue here, right? That's the crux of why we watch. That's the crux of the platform is the talent that these athletes have and, and watching uh, uh, wonderful displays of soccer abilities, right, in the, in the beautiful game. That's that's, that's front and center here. And it is possible to, to watch that just to watch the soccer, right? So Fox Sports has allowed the consumer or maybe forced the consumer to sort of watch it and, and have it be about soccer as opposed to about um, LGBT issues or the Equal Pay Act, that that doesn't come into the broadcast very often. That's a part of it. It's a part of the narrative. It's part of the media narrative. 
we can watch just to watch. And that is the central thing. But there is this, this, this broader context going on, too. And these athletes do represent particular things. They represent America. They do. They also are, have the ability to represent themselves. Mm-hmm. And so many of them have used that platform in, in both ways. And so to say that one athlete, Megan Rapino, for instance, to bring in an issue is a selfish thing for her to use that platform, I think is probably unfair because um, she, she represents something as, as Americans, and we allow that, but that's even required that the national anthem be played. Um, she doesn't have a choice over that. Um, and yet there's then these, these sort of these personal issues that she stands for and that many of her teammates stand for as well. Um, in fact, this doesn't seem to be separating this team at all either. Right? It doesn't seem to be separating them in ways that we can see. You know, surely it has uh, in some ways where they've had conversations about all this and maybe they're not all on the same page. Right. And that's the other thing that um, people can assume that they're all coming from one particular perspective. And that's not likely true, right? right. In, in a number of people, uh, that number of people that large, there there are varying degrees of perspective on, on that team. And yet their, their, um, their message is a unified message, and it doesn't seem to be affecting their play on the field. It doesn't. No, they seem to be... Uh, they, they, this is part of the joy of watching this team is that they are they are exuberant. They seem to enjoy being around each other. There isn't the, you know, we're just uh, we're just on the tail end here. We're after the NBA Finals, right? The NBA has been you know chock full of uh, of team descent, player descent, players not being able to share, uh, work together well, um, arguments between management and players. Certainly, there's some of that that's going on. But what we see, at least on the field, is exuberance and joy and. We see solidarity, and that's kind of a cool thing. Well, we see a common goal, right? And that's one of the beauties of sport in that uh, you and I have been on lots of different teams. And on those teams, you'll get a a full plurality of players. And yet um, that group of people can ultimately learn to get along, learn to suspend some other things, learn to be accommodating, learn to be hospitable for lots of different differences so that we can achieve this common goal. And that's one of the beauties of sport. It draws people in for one particular reason, and that reason is the ability to play that that sport. Uh, and then some beautiful things can come from it. Uh, people get to know each other a little bit better, and there's a there's a a friendship and an openness that can develop uh, that wouldn't develop otherwise without without this sort of team atmosphere. The World Cup is a global event. It is. We have a global event coming up. What's the what's the value in your mind, Brian, of of a global event of bringing people together from all over the world to to discuss to be a part of something? Um, why why would we do something like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to frame it. Uh, our global event is this global uh, congress on sport and Christianity, and I love traveling around the world, and I've loved all of the different relationships I've developed with people from uh, places other than the United States. Um, and so the global aspect of this uh, just recognizes the, the shared uh, experiences that we have in sport, the commonalities that we have in sport, the, the similar issues that we face in sport as we uh, wrestle with our faith. And it also highlights the differences. And so soccer in uh, various countries in Africa are going to be different than soccer in Europe and in Asia, and that same sport is going to take on a different flavor and tone because of the locations in which it's played and the people who play it. 
And so it's exciting to, to sort of hear those small differences uh, and, and sort of that shared aspect, the idea that we all are human, we all are serving um, the same uh, Savior, and in that, um, in that conversation, there's just great richness. And so I'm really excited that this is a global event. There'll be a lot of people from the United States, but a lot of people from all around the world at this uh, event at Calvin College in October. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life.